Hey everybody, this is Mike. Today is May 17th, 2020, and um, welcome to part two of Going Deep in the Susquehanna. And this is, this is to me, um, really my, uh, you know, what, what really interests me about this topic, where I find it, um, you know, the real gold to be. Um, and so I'm excited to do this. And on a couple levels, like, you know, the information that's going to be presented is just like, you know, um, it's so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so solid in its mysticism. Like, you're going to see all of this, like, you know, really, really, like, um, uh, these etheric links, these mystical links. Some of them, uh, I do believe, was done consciously, but the majority of this, I believe, what I'm going to present is going to be a reflection of kind of the substrate or the substructure of, um, you know, the reality which we experience being human on Earth. Um, but it's not just about like, oh, look at all these kind of like cool, um, like, stories or coincidences or synchronicities as much as it is that this is it's pointing to something um and what it's what it's what it's pointing to is um really significant at this particular time um on earth i've i've been talking about a lot lately about this this worldwide initiation in which we are experiencing and um it's both uh as collective as um uh any experience which i think is that i know of that has happened on earth and i mean that like you know never before has such a such a large percentage of the population on earth been in the same sort of like uh, you know, quote unquote, hardship situation, you know, being stuck in home and, you know, not knowing what the future holds and all this sort of stuff. So it's very collective, but it's also very, very individual. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's my, it's my opinion that, that, that individuality, um, of experience is, um, you know, kind of dictating what the future holds. And I'll go into this point in another video, but, but it's not just an, an initiation which we're going through. It's a specific type of initiation, and it's a coming-of-age initiation. And so um, understanding or, or looking at the scenario from that perspective is, um, is going to maybe give a... a um, more more of a of a broader view of um you know where you can find guidance you know at the end of the day it's like you know we're we're, we're navigating this situation this unprecedented situation and like how you navigate it is your individual um is your is your individual piece of it and then how you navigate it and where you go to you know um my opinion is like that really is going to be setting up what 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 is to come um in in uh um you know really grand and 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 almost like beyond imagination sort of perspectives but you know 
I just like kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm open to the weird stuff. Uh, that makes more sense to me. I think that's logically a more accurate description of our reality than, than the rational explanation of what our reality is here in life. But anyway, all of that, what all of this is about is ultimately like tools and clues as to how we navigate this situation. And it's going to come back to this topic of what, what this, this presentation is about. And what, that present, what this presentation is about is um, this, this concept of goddess. And specifically how goddess is tied to um, the Susquehanna River. But uh, before I go into it, I want to just talk a little bit about this concept of goddess. Because it's got like... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways of looking at it. It's a complex topic. You know, we have um, uh, a lot of different understandings of like what the historical, um, this historical link of, of what goddess was to culture and, and, and to, you know, the people that lived before us. Um, but I want to, um, what I'm hoping to get at is um, what at least I, the way I, I comprehend or analyze or understand this concept of goddess, which is much more fundamental and, um, and is applicable by fundamental, like it's the base. And so like as we get into more and more different specifics of how an idea can separate and be different, when you understand the base, the base or the foundation should be true uh, in some degree in every iteration of the different, um, you know, separations or variations of an idea. So in this case, like, you know, goddess, like there's all these different things about goddess and goddesses, but like there's a foundational element and what that foundational element is and what makes sense to me is that there is undoubtedly, there's undoubtedly a, um, you know, I'll call it a mechanism, you know, uh, that's one way of looking at it. There's a mechanism which is driving life and we have all these different words for it, you know, you know, we could, we could, call it a god, we could call it a goddess, um, uh, the Tao, but, but this, this, this force, and, and goddess makes most sense to me, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you can hear the difference between like uh, a masculine telling of the story of, you know, the, the god history, and then like, you know, a more feminine context of the same thing, telling it with like the goddess, and like a more, um, uh, you know, what I would say transcends, like, you know, the human expression, that's like kind of what the Tao is, because it's not male or female, it's both, it's the integration, but it's all talking about the same thing, this, this flow of life, which is, um, you know, which just drives everything uh, day to day. And um, that's what, when, when I see and I talk about goddess, like, that's the word which is being used to describe it. And it makes a lot of sense because of uh, life, everything is born, everything lives, everything dies, and then it is reborn again. We see that in, um, we, you know, you can go and just, just see that by, by looking at, uh, you know, how life works. And we all come from a mother. We all come from a father and a mother, you know, but we do come from the mother. You know, it's the mother that gives birth to, to, to you know, the chicken and the egg sort of thing. So it's like, I'm not interested in, in necessarily that. And if anything, like, that's why the idea of the Tao, I think, uh, is, is really appealing to me. Like, I can settle into that. Like, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to go and say chicken or egg, but... Um, 
But that's what this is about, and that's what these these clues are about. Because when it comes, like you know, we're just I was just talking like thought, like abstract ideas. But when um, uh, when when we want to be able to ground things in something like more uh, material, you know, what we can what we can identify with our 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 five physical senses, and um, and the idea that that the like literally like what a river is like we we understand like regardless of like how much we can think we we can appreciate the fact that we're we're um we're we're maybe uh living in a a, a mystical or, or mysterious environment um uh, and we can we can imagine that you know trees are are not exactly what we call trees to be. Or ri- the river is not exactly what a river is. Like I mean, uh, our understanding from a rational mind, you know, what we've all been conditioned uh, in terms of understanding or interpreting reality, you know, that is for the most part like the foundation for all of us. And so. Um, there is um, when I'm talking about or when i look at rivers um my understanding and this is almost like reverse engineering is is there is considerably more significance to the mystery of um to the mystery of of life like you know how it how it works we can describe a whole bunch of stuff but we don't there's always going to be like a mystery like but why are we here what is this you know um, and there's a surrendering to it. So somehow the river, the, the physical river, and, and, and we can't cr- fully get there because we've been conditioned to like think like a river is this physical thing and it does this for the environment, but it, it does something else um, in terms of managing the flow to life. And when looking at it from that way, we begin to um, understand with greater uh, with greater appreciation of um, maybe why the ancients, why 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 flowing water, really all fresh water, had like a, a very significant um, a very significant. Uh, um, purpose and and there was a great deal of reverence towards life itself and 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 there has long been a tradition of an association with the concept of goddess with water and so how that makes sense is is the water in this this mysterious kind of way and we don't have to quite understand it but it it controls or it manages or it dictates this flow of life this birth life, death, rebirth. And, you know, this is true with really all religious practices. It's like a surrendering to that. Um, and that is, that is what I think all of this information is, is pointing to. It's, it's, it's going from like me talking about ideas or concepts or theories. And I'm like, look, look right here. Um, I think this is true with all flowing water on what we call Earth, and within that, uh, there are different. Um, like, we, if I want to use circuits, circuits is an example. Like, you know, I like to I go to circuits or neural pathways or etheric pathways or whatever as examples. But um, we can see we can see the different flowing bodies of water as different circuits, 
And um, the more foundational of the circuits, and this is true within, within understanding the, the, um, the circuitry within our brain, like the more fundamental and the more foundational of, of these circuits is the more influential um, that circuit is to experience. And what we're going to be looking at is why the Susquehanna River is... Um, you know why it appears to be like one of the primary um the primary circuits um i want to go into this last point before i, I jump into the uh into the presentation and it, and it's that when i talk about like the flow of life i'm not i'm not saying that like i'm saying that in the most literal sense it's it's etheric in the fact that it doesn't seem to be like it's not real it's like a current in the river it's like you can't grab it you can't take it <clears throat> you can't take it out of the river but it's undoubtedly something and so there's this current and that's what dictates life and and by becoming aligned with with uh, with these natural occurring occurring currents is like we're surrendering to the flow of life, and we allow it to to take us upon its the journey, and that is so significant right now because we are at this point where we don't know what the future is and all you can do is kind of like uh as it relates to like navigating is is recognizing how to navigate and and the better your the better the the, the feedback mechanism is on um on a a uh the better, the, the better your feedback mechanism from life is. Like life is going to give you feedback as to like where to go. That's our synchronicities. That's, that's, that's when we see these, these coincidences, these things pop up. Like that's the flow in action. And so the, the, the more connected you are on the fundamental level of the flow of life, the more you're going to get um, feedback and the more obvious and the more like in your face it's going to be. And that is how, you know, the, the, the navigating of this time period, it's the only way um, to navigate it without surrendering to the navigation which is being provided through, um, you know, the computer box, through that sort of message. Um, and realize they're doing the, the, the computer box is just mimicking what's happening naturally. Like if you just think about the, 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 the advertising algorithms that you see on like Facebook or whatever, like, you know, oh, I was just having this conversation, then I get this ad for like whatever, you know, that is dictating the flow of your life. That's an artificial way, but it is a reflection of the truth. And, and that's one of the reasons I like to talk about the synchronicities in my life so much is because it is a, um, I'm hoping to inspire, to, to begin to look at, at the synchronicities in your life as well as, as guidance systems throughout this, this time period. So, uh, 15 minute introduction. Uh, <laughs> I like to try to keep them short. Like in my mind, I'm thinking like I want to do like a, a two, three minute introduction, but it just starts flowing. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's going to be what's going to be. So let's go jump into this. Um, let's jump into our presentation. Um, and let's do this. All right. 
So I'm going to start with this quote. And this is from uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, author of, um, of Jekyll and Hyde, Treasure Island, lived around in the 1800s. And so uh, this is from a, a book which is quoting this, this quote from, from Robert Louis Stevenson. And when I had asked the name of a river from the brakesman and heard it was called the Susquehanna, the beauty of the name seemed to be part and parcel of the beauty of the land, as when Adam with divine fitness named the creatures so this word, Susquehanna, was at once accepted by the fancy. And uh, it's an interesting quote, a lot of ways we, we can go into it, but I, I, I just want to bring up the name Susquehanna and just how it's a beautiful sounding name, just like the, the, um, the, the, the sound within, within the ear, just like the, and that S-Q-H sort of sound, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's similar to Sasquatch, that's been brought up a lot. And like this kind of like, uh, and I particularly like multidimensional Sasquatch is an idea, but like of these kind of like higher or more mythical understandings of life. But we want to start with by looking at the name of Susquehanna. And this is where the name was solidified in um, our collective understanding. From this map here, this is the John Smith map of Virginia. First came out in 1612. This, begin, this is tied into Jamestown, to Pocahontas. It's tied down to the birthplace of the British Empire, the birthplace of the United States, and the birthplace of globalism. So this is like as it relates to a marker. This is a key, key marker. And what we can see in here, let me zoom in. So we've got right here of this map, here's the Chesapeake Bay right there. And... Um, We've got this, this particular person, and we're going to go to this person, and we're going to look at it in a moment with greater detail. But um, this is a Susquehannock, and we see on the top of the Chesapeake Bay, you can see right here, it says the Susquehanna flu, and this is where the first time, um, uh, or where, where it was um, really established that this is the name of this body of water. And there were, there were lots of names, we'll talk about that for, uh, in a moment, but, but, you know, this body of water exists without a name. Like, namings are, naming something is significant, like, from a mystical, magical level to, like, just like a consciousness level. Like, as soon as we name something, we're separating it into an individual piece. And part of, you know, part of being able to, 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 to work through reality is this dance between like separating like what things, um, uh, how they're different. You know, that's doing all of this separation and breaking things down to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. That's very, very logical and that's very, very um, uh, rational thinking. And that's, we, we have like an over stimulation of that in our education system. And then the, um, the other part of thinking is, is understanding how everything connects. And it's the dance between the two. Um, and, and naming does that. Like naming is, is when, you know, the, the thing that is first name, and we saw that in the quote, like it was, it was brought up in idea, uh, in concept in that, in that 
quote on the Susquehanna of like Adam naming everything, you know, this, this, that mythology or that story within our collective, uh, um, experiences, you know, with, with, with the, with the Bible and the, the, the naming of everything and like, you know, breaking it down into, to different pieces, you know, it's, it, it's given us our experience and allowed us to develop this, this one rational part of our mind, but we also have to understand, um, the big picture. And um, the second part of naming uh, is, is maybe like more mystical, more magical. Like in, in um, when you look into a lot of magical practices and mystical thinking, you'll see that there's a great deal of power with, with the person who, who um, names something. They have a power over that which it names. Um, there's also ideas of like, you know, un if you understand the true name of something, you know, you have great control over that. Like, you know, n regardless if that's an actual statement or not, you know, I, I think it's probably pointing to a truth. I don't know what actual names may be, but, but it seems to make sense that that would be the nature of, of, of our reality. Um, and again, re remember, like, throughout hu the human the human history story is there have been people who understand uh, more have a greater knowledge base and understanding of how stuff works than um, than other people and by withholding that information they they have power and so this is one of the things which I think is is or one of the ways which um, power is being withheld by by not understanding like the true nature of, of naming things but anyway i mean the whole point of all that is like this is where it begins so so we see there are a couple things it's the first time where um uh this map has a big historical significance it was the primary map for this region for i don't know like a hundred years and everyone got on the same page that this body of water is called the susquehanna we see it's named here, and this is where we also get the name of these people who are called the Susquehannocks. In truth, we don't know what they call themselves. We could see this house right here. This is where it's saying they lived. Uh, interestingly, you know, this is where I live, like in the same sort of area. This is this this is the fort. We're actually, where that X is right there. That's that's pretty much where the 40th parallel in the Susquehanna River would be. Uh, if you saw. Um, the the secret on the Susquehanna, I get into like the 40th parallel, how it's identified here. You see how it's like um, mirrored, zero four, the 39, the 41 are regular, um, regularly expressed. But anyway, so <clears throat> so this is where it was first named, and this is where where our um, our journey begins. And right here, let me go back to this. Um, just like demonstrating, like the, the body of water we call the Susquehanna, it had uh, multiple names uh, for the Susquehanna River. The meaning of the name from two languages differ. I mean, that's just two languages. The Iroquoian name for Susquehanna was Gawanowanewagahunda, meaning the Great Island River, while the Algonquin name Susquehanna mean, um, has been interpreted as the Long and Winding River. Uh, Here's a, another description. Susquehanna comes from the Lenape, which which spoke in our uh, uh, whose language was within the Algonquin family of languages. And here it says like it means oyster river. And you know here's another place where it's um, that the 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 title of of the river is mile wide, foot deep. 
Um, and here it says muddy river, winding currents. We're seeing all of these different sort of um, definitions. I think that's probably just like, you know, um, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. There are probably many, many, many names uh, within, um, within maybe these language families, but probably other language families uh, for the same body of river. Um, my sense also is, uh, you know, you, what, what's typical, I mean, I'm not a linguist or anything, but what's typical within culture is the more significant something is within a culture, the more they value it, the more names they have for it. Um, and I mean, just like think about, like think about how important money is to our society and think about all of the different slang terms for money or like sex for that. Like, I mean, there's so many different words, but like, you know, how many words do you have for like um, school bus? You know, maybe like two or three because school bus doesn't quite have the same, the same degree of significance. And my sense is for the people who were like living on the Susquehanna, like, you know, there was a really significant, um, uh, there was really significant uh, in their day-to-day -day lives and so uh, and in their their spiritual life as well and so there are probably multiple names and realistically when I hear these when I hear the uh, um, the, the the definition of these definitions which are being offered for what um, what the uh, Susquehanna means like they're very very like um, you know they're they're, they're very uh, one-dimensional, let's say. Like, you know, it's describing what it is. Like, it's a muddy river. It's a, it's a fast river. It's a, it's a river with, 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 um, with, with islands. And, and I think there's, there's definitely a truth to that, but I think there are probably either different connotations within those words or, um, or different words entirely which are the name of the more um, spiritual or mystical association with what that body of water was because you know that's that's just common sense you know there was there was a deep spiritual connection between the physical environment and the people who lived here so of course they're gonna not they're not gonna call something like a river just like you know oh it's that you know this immensely like important part of my spiritual experience and I'm gonna just call it like the river uh, which is which 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 is muddy you know there, there's gonna be it just makes sense it's gonna be deeper um, this is my favorite thing, which I found, which I found, my favorite definition, which I found online. Uh, origin of Susquehanna, from early Susquehanna, name of an Iroquoian people in an unidentified Eastern Algonquin language fr from name of the river, meaning of name unknown. I think that's probably the, <laughs> that's the most honest or maybe the truest. But we're going to go, we're going to go a, a little bit deeper because that's what we like to do. We like to go deeper. So, um, uh, within the Algonquin, within the Algonquin Indian language, um, uh, there has been identified a very, very strong correlation with the, the ancient language Gaelic. And Gaelic is like early Irish, um, and it's associated with, uh, with the Celtic people who are not just limited to living, um, on the British Isles or in Ireland, uh, they lived, uh, their culture expanded throughout um, the mainland of Europe and, and it, was, it was further and, and possibly and seemingly, you know, as part of a, a much greater culture. But 
Um, but nonetheless, the, the, the point I, I want to say, say here is there's a correlation. There's a, there's a, there's a strong suggestion of, of this Algonquin language having a similar root to this, this Gaelic language. And where this is often seen the most is, is in the name of, of rivers themselves. And so here are some examples. Um, uh, you know, the, the Merrimack River in Algonquin, that's an Algonquin word. It's accredited as an Algonquin word, and it means deep fishing. And then in Gaelic, a very phonetically similar sounding word, Moramurak, means of great depth. Merrimack, Moramurak. Pisaquata uh, in, in Algonquin, white stone. Pisaquatakwa means pieces of white stone in Gaelic. Seminole uh, means grains of rock in Algonquin, and seminal means the same thing in, in Gaelic. And I would also suggest, um, like also within Gaelic, like the naming of the rivers are not just like a description of it, or, or, or it's, it's deeper than that. We'll get to that um, in a moment. But uh, this is fascinating. I find this very fascinating, you know, as it relates to uncovering like, you know, who and what we're living on what we think of as North America right now, because undoubtedly the, the, um, what has gone on in North America in the f last 400 years is, is, is a, um, a, a fulfillment of someone's playbook. You know, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but you know, whether you want to say that meets prophecy or if it's just like a re, uh, like, you know, just a purposefully living out of, of, of sto ancient stories that have been written down, you know, that's, that's, that's definitely important. It's definitely, uh, part of what we're experiencing. It's part of the history, or at least history we're told. And, um, by, by, by looking at some of these, uh, these correlations, we, we can gather more understanding of maybe what's going on and, and, and the true significance of, of, you know, just, uh, maybe the, the, the earth which we live on. I, I like to just call it the environment because I don't know what earth is. I don't know if it's simulation. I don't know if we're a globe. I don't know if we're a disc. I don't know if we're something totally different. I just know that I'm here. Uh, and I don't trust the shit which I see, you know, on the computer. But I do know because it's all, all the inversion stuff, if you squeeze it hard enough, you're going to get the truth out of it. And that's what, what we're trying to do. So anyway, if you're interested in this stuff, like, uh, uh, Barry Fell, he was this, this guy, uh, this Harvard professor, uh, who, who wrote a bunch of books which were highly, um, uh, controversial and mainstream rejected in, um, in, uh, when did he write these? Like in the 80s, the 70s and the 80s. But he gets into like a lot of this analysis of language and looking at like, uh, of, of the, the native people who were living here at, you know, 400 years ago and then comparing it to like who may have been living here much, much longer before and how those two connect. So Barry Fell, there's some good stuff there. Um, I found this, this book right here is also very good um, because it's not quite so academic. It's more like storytelling, but it does this really amazing job of linking together uh, like um, 
Olmec or, or Mayan culture, like the, the people of, of Central America from like a thousand to uh, years ago, and comparing like the um, how similar it was to the Phoenician Empire, you know, back in like the uh, the Mediterranean area, and it does it like through looking at like weaving techniques and clothing techniques and beards and all this sort of stuff. And there, there's really, you know, if you like this stuff, I would recommend that book. Um, and like, you know, here we see that there is, um, I don't want to go too far off a tangent, but I, I brought this up and I want to give some direction for anyone who's intrigued by this idea is we looked at an Algonquin language, an Algonquin Gaelic language connection. And here we could see there's a, a Celtic, which is maybe another way of describing the Gaelic language and Phoenician similarity. So all of them are connected. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole lot more in this, in this story and we can see it in many, many different ways, but let's go back to our map. So this is our map. Um, and it's really important to watch the, if you're if you want to understand the backstory. Watch the secret in the Susquehanna, where we look at like who's behind this map with their organizations and so forth. But we can see uh, it all goes back to um, it all goes back to John D. Uh, and before I connect it to the John D, we're going to connect John D to to this character right here, the Susquehannock, um, and what I think is 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 very evident, and, and putting on our, our is evident when we put in our steganography glasses. So steganography is the um, is the practice of hiding information, secret information, in a public document. It's different than like a, like uh, encrypting something. That's like with a code. So, uh, steganography is more artistic, and it is exactly the sort of um, modus operandi or technique which was used by the people who were behind this map. I mean, that's just that's just by understanding the the history that of that these were steganographers, and it just makes sense that there's going to be steganography in the map. And in my opinion, this is the most significant piece to really look into. And the reason why I'm saying is like, if this is all about a map, you know, that's what the main purpose is explaining this area. We've got this diagram, which is really, really important. And you know, this is where we get the Pocahontas story. Uh, Powhatan, this is Pocahontas's um, father. It's being depicted right up here. Uh, but we look at this, we look at this, this, this um, figure right here and notice how how it just kind of like jumps out visually like there's nothing really competing with the eye this is there's so much darkness in here it's kind of like you know you can't really see the detail and there's all of this detail you can get lost in the detail and this is tons and tons of detail but but everything around this all of the background it's like look at me jump right out so um this figure uh is the the third iteration, I guess it's the second iteration, the third version of, of this figure. And this figure goes back to um, drawings from the Lost Colony of Roanoke. And Lost Colony of Roanoke was, um, uh, the British tried to establish a, a colony in um, the New World, uh, and then it, it didn't succeed, and this was like probably like 20 years before the establishment of Jamestown, and that was the one which did succeed, and then came Plymouth, you know, Ply the Plymouth colony, that's a third. But so this here is, um, is from the drawings, and it was, it's, it was by John White, who was the, the, the governor of the, um, 
lost colony. Um, my personal opinion is the lost colony was a um, it was a sacrifice. It was you know that was part of the sacrificial ritual of of what needed to happen first before the establishment of um, of the British Empire and of the New World. And all this ties back to John Dee. He's the visionary behind the British Empire. And all of these guys who are behind these drawings um, tied back to John Dee as well. We have to remember John Dee, uh, he is accredited. He's the guy who, um, who made huge advancements within uh, sea navigation. He was the first to apply uh, Euclid geometry within... Um, within uh, uh, navigating at sea. And it is from like a practical purposes, it's through this like advancement, this leapfrogging in navigation, which allowed like the little country known as Britain to eventually like leapfrog over Spain and Portugal and larger at the time empires to become, um, to become, uh, uh, to become like the, the most dominating empire on earth. You know, they all wanted to be the most dominating empire and these empire builders did it the best. And it is my contention that what, what, what John Dee, for whatever, for whatever reason, he like knew where, not only did he understand navigation and he could teach them, but he knew where to tell them to go, you know, for, for however he knew that information, um, you know, that, 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 you know, I've got a couple ideas, but um, that we don't know for certain. So anyway, so we can see that this was, um, this, uh, what does it say? The original warrior image is a, a, from a John White painting of an Algonquin chief. White was the governor of the lost colony of Roanoke, and he worked closely with Thomas Harriet, who was the protege of, of John Dee. So, so this guy, Harriet, who was like guiding, who was guiding, um, White, worked directly under John Dee. So then the next iteration of this, we can see there's a little bit of change. It looks pretty similar, but, um, but there's some minor adjustments, particularly you can see in this posture, how it changes a little bit. Um, you know, the, the hips get a little bit more narrow. But this was done by Theodore de Bry, and Theodore de Bry was a publish, he was a publisher, and he also published the works of Robert Flood and Michael Mayer, who were very, who were chief exponents of Rosicrucian philosophy. So this also ties into John Dee, who, you know, is involved within the same order. And here we see, um, we see our third iteration. We have our Susquehanna warrior. And, um, and this, is, this came out, I think this is probably even the year John Dee is said to die. I think he, said he died in 1612. But it's mostly credited to, to Francis Bacon. Uh, and Francis Bacon is who picked up the torch after John Dee in terms of like leadership of a certain direction, specifically as it related to the um, opening of the New World in the British Empire. Um, so... We talked a little bit about um, we talked a little bit before about Gaelic and Celtic. Uh, let's you know here we've got you know a lot of the stuff we, we we can't say for certainty, but but what I can say for certainty is like there's a lot of stuff on the internet which ties in um, uh, John D with with uh, Druidism. And Druidism, or a Druid, is the the priest class of the Celtic people, and the Celtic people 
are the speakers of Gaelic, and so we know that we know that 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 Bacon, who is the continuation of John Dee, is involved with the naming of the Susquehanna, the Susquehanna. They didn't name it something else; they named it Susquehanna. We'll get to that in a moment, and we can also see like there there's a link there's a link with um, with the particularly the the priest class, the mystical class, the the controlling class, the ruling class of um, the ruling class of spiritual life and, and the flow of life of of, of Celtic um, tradition. And and you know, I, I kinda wanna ground it right there, but we, we saw with the Phoenician link that that uh, this is probably not just limited to a Celtic tradition, but we're looking at like maybe more of a mother culture or, or, or yeah. So, okay. So let's go back into, um, let's go back into our, our warrior. Um, so within steganography there, and within like Freemasonry, within Rosicrucianism, like everything is, is, is symbolism and it's like layer after layer after layer and layer of symbols. And so we're going to look first at the, the first layer of what this Susquehanna warrior represents. And as I said before, that both the people, you know, it says right here, it says the Susquehannocks. The Susquehanna are a giant-like people and thus tired. They're named right here. And the river are named right here. And one of the primary, one of the primary techniques within... Um, within steganography and particularly this style of steganography which was done by within the Rosicrucian and within the Renaissance era and all that sort of stuff it was through the use of double entendre whereas um, uh, a word can have multiple meanings and connotations so double entendre is like you know you're saying one thing which has a meaning but you're also saying something else like a pun is a double entendre and that is a way of hiding things. And so like in a map, like the double entendre is like, it's so obvious that I'm talking about, I'm showing you a people called the Susquehanna that you're, you're not necessarily, you're hidden from the fact that I'm talking about something else. And what I'm gonna suggest is that this warrior, there was undoubtedly a people that, that we're calling the Susquehannocks and we're gonna get into them in a moment. But in this, in this pictogram, in this pictogram known as the John Smith map, you know, this, this whole thing is a, a pictogram of, of, of information. But within this pictogram, that when we see the, the, the warrior, we, it is making reference to the river of the same name. And then we're going to get deeper into what that means. But, but the reason why we know that is uh, within um, a great book, if, you, if you're into like decoding, you know, if this sort of thing like makes sense to you and you want to go and decode what these people are saying, uh, the book um, uh, Manly P. Hall's uh, Secret Teaching of All Ages it goes through and explains, um, you know, certain chapters of it at least, particularly the Rosicrucian chapters. It explains the techniques which are are known to have been used for hiding information, and so then we can go and take that and extrapolate it because you know we were thinking creatures, we're able to learn something and then to apply it in new ways. You know, that's that's what we get to do when we we develop our mind. So this is taken from that book. 
book, and it says, uh, pictorial cryptograms are sometimes accompanied by the key necessary for the decipherment. So if we know that this is a cryptogram, and like, all right, well, how do we decipher it? A figure may point. So it's like, it's being general, you know, but the general idea is a figure, here's our figure, may point toward the starting point of the cipher or carry in its hand some implement to disclosing the system of measurement used. And we got in our warrior right here, we're holding this, this thing in their hand, and I blew this up. We could see where it's resting, like right here where it's resting is, um, it is at the, uh, the source location of the Susquehanna River. You know, this is the Susquehanna River. We've got this main split, and this is the primary source location. Um, Here's the Chesapeake Bay, here's the Susquehanna River, this is the Juniata, this is like just north of Harrisburg. But here's the main split that we saw earlier, and then this is the beginning of it. This is where we have Cooperstown right now, and we've got this right next door, right, um, pointings resting right upon it. And, you know, let's go and make this, this, um, and we'll treat it like a, a, like a, like a hypothesis. Like, you know, the, according to, to all of the information, this should be a, this should be a code, a pictogram with steganography and it, and maybe it's going to be pointing to the, to what it is, what the, the key to, um, the cipher, the key to, to, um, disclosing the system being used. And the system being used is like this Susquehanna warriors talking about the river. Um, all right, so I'm going to come back to that, but in order to understand like why that's significant, we're going to go down this path. So, um, uh, the religion of the ancient Celts, the uh, the 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 religion of the Cel the Gaelic speakers, the the Druidic class, and river and well worship was significant. The practice and the understanding that within water, within water is. Um, uh, this is which they tied the goddess. I talked about goddess in the beginning. This is all goddess worship. And so the Celtics, uh, uh, the, the, tr the, the practice was recognizing, um, was understanding, I mean, this understanding probably in a way which we do not, how reality works and understanding this concept of goddess, that which gives life, that which, which controls life on earth, that rules over death and rebirth, is tied to water. And so that was the belief system. This was the practice of these people. And it's not just Celtic. You know, we see it with the Phoenicians. We see the, we, we, we see it through the language connection. Go and look at Vedic culture and you see like this, see how important river worship and river goddess worship was. And so there was, there was a knowing of something. Um, and within, within the practice of the Celtic culture, there was, there was the worship of a particular river, and when we say river, from a Celtic perspective, we're also naming the goddess, the river and the goddess which it was associated with, because different rivers had different goddesses, and they had different qualities. And that just makes sense, that, that like, you know, just like there's so many different... Um, parts of life and expressions of life and different like you know uh different rivers different different currents of life are going to have different flavors just like you know they're different colors they're different sounds um and this is more fundamental and so within this this celtic understanding there was a very very significant river goddess and her name was sequana and it's not exactly the same as susquehanna 
But when we saw before, when we looked at all of the, 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 the comparisons of, of Algonquin words to, um, to, to Gaelic words, uh, you know, they're not exactly phonetically, as in from Phoenician, they're not exactly phonetically similar. So, you know, there, there, there's a precedent we're seeing for that. And just like we have the Susquehannocks, we are the Susquehanna River and the Sus and the Susquehannocks, we have the same relationship of the people that 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 were supported by and 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 worshipped the Sequani, uh, uh, the Sequana River, um, and therefore the goddess were the Sequani. Um, there's all sorts of different. Um, I don't think there's a. a, a a, you, I have not found anything I'm confident with, which is a universal um, explanation of, of an understanding of, the, of the, the Celtic river goddess system, um, their belief, because there's a lot of contradictory information. So I'm going to show you some of the information, some of the different things that jumped out at me. But like Sequana, we see location in Britain. Um, it's an earth goddess who lived beneath the rivers of Britain and could only be seen if the rivers were drained or, or low from drought. Goddess of many other rivers. So what we're, what, the reason why that's underlined is, is one is this idea that there's a hierarchy uh, of different river goddesses and, um, and Sequana is, is, is at the top. She's, she's an earth goddess though. So keep that in mind because she's a river goddess, but she rules earth, rules over prosperity, earth magic, water magic, and purification. The fact that she's being tied into ruling over earth is one of the reasons why I believe the, what makes sense is why the magical altar was put on the Susquehanna River is because it is the ruler of earth magic. But I also want to point out that it says that, that she resides in Britain because who Sequana is and known by and the Sequana people, they were, um, they lived in modern day France or in Gaul. So, so I just want to point out there seems to be this ability where it's not so, you know, materialistically tied, like, you know, the physical location with a particular, um, whatever we want to think of as goddess is, is tied to one river. So this idea of, of maybe moving around, um, you know, that's a possibility. We're, we're looking at this, we're exploring, we're opening our, our, our minds from what we have been taught to, un, to think, to like, you know, just becoming more flexible with imagination. So uh, Sequana, well, who is the Sequana? What is the Sequana River? It is the Seine. If you've ever been to France, if you, have, if you know what Paris is, that's the river that moves through, that runs through Paris, is the Seine River. It used to be called the Sequana. And through the Roman invasion, Julius Caesar is, who's credited to, um, who's credited to, to renaming the Seine to Sequana. Um, uh, where do I want to go? Here we go with this. And so here we see this is the map of, of Gaul. If you're, you know, here's Germany, here's Spain. If you know your, your European geography, you'll know that this is where, where, uh, um, where, where France is, where modern France, and we could see there it says this is Sequana, this is also the Seine. Um, and it's, 
I want to bring this point out as well. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper. It's like this wasn't like all rivers, all bodies of water, wells and, and lakes, they were associated. You couldn't have one without access to this, this um, force which is being tied to goddess. And But then that being said, there's going to be various like hierarchies and degrees. And Sequana specifically was was known to be like really, really important within these people. And how do we know that? Because there were, um, there were large healing shrines found at the source location of the, the Sen River and or the Sequana River. And we know this archaeologically, we know this historically, and people came and they left their, you know, whatever bodies of water were nearby with them. And they, they went through the journey to go um, for like thousands of years, people would leave where they lived and take their journey and their pilgrimage to go to these healing waters. And, you know, this was something which, um, I found online describing Sequana. Sequana, goddess of France's Seine River, held court at a healing shrine at the river source established in the second or first century BCE, although a more rustic shrine may have existed earlier. I, you know, although a more may, yeah, of course it did. Um, the Romans later expanded it into a major sanctuary, building two temples and other structures with springs and pools, documented evidence dating back at least as far as the first century BCE indicates her springs were considered to have healing properties. Modern research has failed to identify any therapeutic minerals. So they're telling you right there, they're looking for therapeutic minerals. Um, so either the water has changed or there's something we're not recognizing or the healing properties derived completely from spiritual sources. Um, you know, I take all that stuff with a grain of salt. Like I... Um, I think there are literal truths to what a lot of this stuff is going to be pointing to, but we don't quite understand it, and it might, and it is not necessarily as like looking for um, uh, therapeutic minerals. I mean, maybe that may be the case. I don't know, but uh, I think this is more fundamental in terms of reality because this is again, it's analyzing it from our understanding of how things work. That you would need to have. Um, Regardless, uh, uh, the fountains of Sequana at the source um, was apparently first established in the Iron Age. Physicians, priests, priestesses were in the residence. Healing dreams were incubated and hydrotherapy practiced. Uh, the reason I want to point that out is the fountains of Sequana. That's like a specific location in France where the source location is. And rather recently, like in the last 10 years, it has been renamed in France, and it's now known as Saint-Germain. And Saint-Germain is, as a name, is tied into Francis Bacon um, often. Uh, I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, you know. <laughs> you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of different takes on, on what Saint-Germain is. But what I do want to go and, and really iterate is the same, the same uh, symbology keeps on showing up, showing up. And by the naming of the town, that's very much on the level of reality of municipalities and, and legal systems. So, you know, that's the, that is where it is most real on that level. So let's keep on going down. Um, right here, we're going to come back to this. Uh, um, uh, Sequana, the goddess of the River Sen, the springs, the source of the Gaulish tribe Sequani. Uh, a bronze statue of a woman draped 
in her de- uh, draped in a long gown and with a diadem on her head is believed to represent Sequana. Um, and so what they found was all of these different artifacts doing archaeological digs where the um, Roman and the pre-Roman um, uh, uh, temples and structures were for Sequana. And this is the best preserved one. I believe this is in the Louvre. And this is Sequan, and, we, and we're going to come back to this imagery. Um, here, this talks more about what is known of, um, of Sequana. What is now the source Sen it saw Gaelic, Gaelic, I guess that's how it's pronounced, pilgrimage beginning in the first century. Uh, in the late fourth century, Roman emperor, uh, Theodosius I ordered the closure of the pagan temples, but we're, we're, what I'm talking about is like this was really like this was established like part of people's lives, like real human beings. So now we're going to go back uh, 55 minutes into this. You know, we're going to go back to um, our map and we're going to begin to understand Sus- the Susquehanna with 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 greater depth. Um, this is a, a slide which, which I used a lot in, in The Secret of the Susquehanna. And we're going to come back to it. And key point is we can see how the Susquehanna warrior is, um, is dressed in Masonic attire. Um, we can see it most clearly uh, in a cryptic fashion. Like it's not obvious. Like this is part of steganography. It's going to be cryptic. And the people who are behind this map were... Um, uh, particularly Francis Bacon, very, very strongly connected to the establishment of what we think of as modern Freemasonry. And in fact, modern Freemasonry finds a lot of its traditions based upon Francis Bacon's own um, practice of speculative um, masonry. But what I want to point out here is this. This is called the collar and jewel. And here we see George Washington wearing his collar, his collar and his jewel, and the jewel um, is symbolic of the rank of the mason. That's what's important. Like when you wear a collar and jewel, what's hanging from it tells you something about the person who's wearing it. And let's go back to this slide. We can see the changes from here to here. One of the most major changes is we've got beads. We've got beads. And now we've got this big old chain right here, and we've got a wolf head which is hanging from it. That's what this is. It is a wolf head. How do we know that? Because with this map came, um, came a book, uh, uh, The General History of Virginia, and John Smith, he, he goes into detail about the Susquehannocks. He keeps on like, he can't say enough good things about the Susquehannocks, uh, which is atypical of, of, of the description of uh, of how he portrayed other people who he ran across. But the Susquehannocks, he had nothing but great things. And he's saying how one had the head of a wolf hanging in a chain for a jewel. That's what we're talking about. There's our wolf head right here. Um, and I don't think it says it earlier in this, in this page, like I just copied this or the screenshot out of out of Google is, um, Google Books is, uh, um, where it says that these are the Susquehannocks, but this book, the book and the map, they go hand in hand. So, all right. So we know it's Freemasonic. We know that, uh, we saw it in the, in the dress 
and we know Freemasonry runs through the tradition of the people who are behind this, and we know that this is called out as a wolf, and we go and we look within, um, we go and we look within uh, Freemasonic symbology, and you know, making reference to um, a dictionary of Freemasonry by Robert McCoy, 1869, we see that the wolf head is rather significant within um, Freemasonry, and it ties back to the mysteries of Isis. And so here it's, tie, uh, it's expressed as it relates to, um, you know, some, uh, uh, a wolf mask is what a candidate into the, the mysteries of Isis would wear. Um, I don't know what but for for this, you know, without getting, you know, because we're 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 kind of like playing with ideas and we're investigating, you know, I want to be a little bit looser with this and just say like there's a correlation, you know, this is the river and the river is dressed in Freemasonic, you know, it's it's being named as Freemasonic, you know, there's taken like a Freemasonic ownership by that, and then it is saying that this river. Um, corresponds with or the rank of this river has to do with Isis or the cult of Isis. You know, we don't want to get too much into that. We just want to start to see these correlations. And so now let's go back to Sequana, right? Because this is the this is Sequana. It's the Seine. It's who it's who runs through Paris. And who is Paris? Paris, or uh, why is it called Paris? Because the city of Paris was initially named after those people who live there and the people who live there. You know, we think about them as the Sequani, but, you know, another name, particularly for Paris, because, you know, there are islands on Paris where the people were living, and these people were worshipers of Isis. That's what Paris uh, represents. So this, you know, from this book in the 1830s, The Transactions of Royal Asiatic Society of Great Britain and Ireland, the worship of Isis obtained throughout Celtic Gaul, as in Italy, um, uh, error, I don't know what that means, Rome was found. She is an indigenous, an indigenous divinity, not of exotic adoption, the capital of the Franks, and the abode of the Celtic Parasai. Takes its name from the goddess whose statue was preserved in the Abbey of Saint Germain. Now we got Saint Germain again. We're dealing with the same sort of thing. And this is found within Paris. It's saying, like, you know, the people, the, the Celtic Parasai are the worshippers of, of Isis. Um, we see it said again right here. There's the Temple of Isis, uh, was the location of Notre Dame in Paris. Um, Paris, Isis, there we're, we're we're seeing the same symbology. Now we got now we've got this we've got this symbol of Sequana, which is phonetically the same as uh, or similar phonetically similar to Sequana, working in the same ancient language of the people who are behind this map, and we also are tying it into Isis. Um, you know, I didn't want to go much into like you know goddess, uh, you know particularly from a mythological perspective, but there's this idea of there being one goddess, but she has 10,000 names. We're talking about the same thing, the same quality. Uh, to me, that's this underlying, you know, what the, the underlying flow of life, and that is the goddess. 
And, you know, we've got all these different names for the different expressions, I suppose. But, you know, so when we're seeing different names of goddesses, but on the same river, like, there's a certain level, the name doesn't matter. But we're seeing the same name on these two bodies of water, what we're calling the Susquehanna and the, and the Seine. And it's just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so now let's return back to the map. You know, I talked about... Uh, uh, the 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 first main change was in the the different iterations of the the map of the warrior was had to do with going from beads to that heavy duty chain but now we can see it's in hair so we've got like we've got hair which appears to be um tied up and now we see it here that what happens is it goes flowing and I would say the quality of the face also becomes much, much, much more softened. Um, and it becomes, um, and it becomes, you know, more feminine. Because it's my opinion that, that this warrior is actually a crypto goddess. It's expressed, like, yes, it's expressed in a masculine form, like it's a man, and, and, or it's at least an implied man. And I say that mostly just in, like, the, 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 the narrow waist and the, 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 the shaping of, and the broad shoulders and the shaping of the forearms and, 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 uh, um, and the structure of the ankles, but it's also female. And we also know that the, the hermaphroditic expression is very, very common uh, uh, within, um, within secret societies and particularly within Rosicrucianism. But, but you know, let's, let's just focus on like the, the, <laughs> the warrior is a goddess right now. So we see the soft face. Like this is a, um, this is a replica done from 1905 of this map. And you can see how uh, the face can be expressed much more masculine. Like this definitely looks at the very least a young, a young man. But, you know, I think because of the hair and, and, and like uh, uh, all of the other symbology, like, no, this is being tied in, in, in to goddess. And even more importantly, going back to the original point, was this flowing hair. And we could see like in this Botticelli um, painting of, of the goddess Venus that she too is expressed with this flowing hair. And flowing hair is, is, is a symbol of, of, of goddess. So how do we know that? By just looking at Wikipedia, they're telling us. And it's a Freemasonic um, free um, uh, symbol. So the very first dollar coin issued by the United States federal government was called the flowing hair dollar. It's the flowing hair dollar. And who is the flowing hair dollar? The flowing hair dollar is um, it's a depiction of, of liberty, the goddess liberty. You know, Lady Liberty is a warrior goddess, and she's being depicted without this Phrygian cap. Uh, goddesses are often depicted with, with either like this diadem or particularly warrior goddesses with a Phrygian cap. And we see that this was done by Robert Scott. It's a bust of liberty. Um, 
Robert Scott. I mean, this is, not only is, you know, he's a Freemason, but he was an important Freemason. He had to be very skilled in understanding the symbology because he's the dude who got to do all of the engraving and designing for, for very significant, um, for significant pieces. You know, again, the naming, the first, all of this has to do with like the owning. That's part of like this, this kind of like magical practice. When I name something, when I put my first here, like, you know, I am in a, it's in alignment with spiritual law, but I'm saying like, I'm the one who owns it. Like, as we saw in that original quote with, um, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, it's like, you know, um, Adam named it. By him naming it, 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 it becomes, you know, more or less under his domain, and particularly if you know the, 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 the first name. But we see here, and the point of all of this is that flowing hair, flowing hair is specifically tied to goddess, to the warrior goddess Liberty, and it is doled through Freemasonic symbology. It's the same sort of stuff. Um, this map came out 16, in 1612. This was done in 1794, you know, 182 years later. Um, same symbology. Uh, let's keep going with this. Um, here we've got, uh, you know, we've the maps of Gaul and, and France. Ah, this is good. So, okay. So we've got this right here. So here's, here's the Seine. Here's the Seine right here. And we can see how it empties out into the English Channel. This is where it empties out. This is where it is. And if we look closely, where it empties out is, um, it's called Le Havre. Maybe I'm pronouncing that correctly. I hope I am. There it is. Here's the Seine River. This is where it empties out. It's a major port in northern France's Normandy region where the Seine River meets the English Channel. It is where the body of the Seine, the goddess, whatever we want to think about this is, um, where it empties into a larger body of water. Um, what, what seemingly makes sense to me is that like all of like the, the mystical religious aspect will tie in somewhere, the, ties in somewhere on like the material level. And part of, part of this uh, understanding these rivers that then dump into, um, uh, that dump into uh, um, larger bodies of water, oceans, like, you know, this is significant. So we got Le Havre. And then if we go and we look at the Susquehanna, this is the Susquehanna River, and this is the Chesapeake Bay, and this is where the Susquehanna transitions into the, into the Chesapeake Bay, because the Chesapeake Bay is the same body of water, but it changes expression. It goes from just river to, to estuary, where it blends with the ocean. But, but nonetheless, what do we find right here? This town, Havre de Grace. Havre de Grace is named for the port city, La Havre, France. So now again, we see on material reality, like another connection linking in the Sequana River and, or the Seine River and the Susquehanna River. Um, this right here is Aberdeen Proving Grounds. If you've been paying attention, remember like the first computer, ENIAC, which sounds like John D's Enochian magic, Phoenician, phone, uh, phonetically correct. This is where it's located, right in this location. Um, so now, uh, you know, this, this slide is from, um, I think, part two in The Su Secret on the Susquehanna. This is, I mean, <laughs> you got to watch these videos. Um, but this is the portion where I'm talking about. This is the 40th parallel, and this is the Susquehanna River. Um, this is 
this is the epicenter which is is being pointed to time time and time again um, at the center is where we find this symbol this the the circle right here right on the 40th parallel half a mile from the river itself is where we find a park and in this park you know this is what it looks like from above it is a crescent moon and sun same symbology and which is the hermaphroditic symbology it's the masculine and the feminine you know it's the blending between of the two you know it's the dash it's the it's the higher expression of the primordial forces that that you know create earth I suppose but anyway what we find there let's move out of just this and like let's look at a geography geographically you know what towns are there um, and I call this the goddess corridor remember all this is goddess so we've got these four things here's the Susquehanna River here is that 40th parallel this is where that park is and the first thing we see is this town of Columbia it's located right here um, watch the video goddess Susquehanna. I go into the history of Columbia because it's really significant, but who's Columbia? Why is it named Columbia? Columbia is the name of the liberty goddess of the founding fathers. You know, this is the name of liberty, of, of, of the liberty who's on the liberty bust. Here she is in her Phrygian cap. Remember we're talking about Phrygian cap? There she is. Um, that's why Columbia's named Columbia, because she was that, it used to be called Wright's Ferry, but that was on the short list of, of potential sites of what would be the nation's capital, which was eventually the District of Columbia. Um, what is Columbia? The root of Columba, or the root of Columbia is Columba. Uh, in Latin, and that means dove. Uh, we could thank the great Freeman Fly, you know, in a, in a, in a, a documentary he put out probably 20 years ago about the, the, the hidden, um, goddess symbology found throughout our culture. And, you know, we go back and we look at the dove and, and goddess within, uh, going all the way back to Sumerian culture, and we see the mother goddess was known as the dove goddess. Uh, in Sumeria, best known as Semiramis, but we know she goes by all of these different sort of names. And going back to Ishtar and Easter, remember we're talking about, uh, or Esther, excuse me, in, in part one, and we've got Isis and we've got Sequana, but we're dealing with the same sort of concept. Uh, and we see, like, at, this, at this, this very significant location, we've got the name of the mother goddess. Um, And then just like further upstream, like literally, you know, I used to live here, Marietta, like right on the river. This is where all the weird stuff, this weird, weird town, like there's strange, strange energy there, like powerful energy, but weird <laughs> energy. We've got Marietta, and Marietta is phonetically similar to Marianne. Who's Marianne? She is France's liberty goddess, wearing her, 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 um, her liberty cap, her Phrygian cap. Um, and the French Revolution and the American Revolution, they are like tied at the hip, the same organizations. The, the French flag, the American flag, red, white, and blue, like same period in time. Uh, all of this was happening. We're going to see it's just connected deeper and deeper and deeper. So let's go right here. So here's her Statue of Liberty. You know, she looks just like Columbia, Columbia Pictures. Who's Columbia? Columbia's right here. It's the same la lady, District of Columbia. And we go um, 
You know, as probably most of you are aware that, you know, this was a gift from a Freemasonic lodge in France to, uh, originally it was, they wanted to give it to, but they weren't giving it, they wanted money for it, but they wanted to give it to Egypt. They wanted to oversee the Nile. They wanted to oversee the Nile, and Egypt was like, no, nah, I'm not going to pay this money for it. And so they're like, hey, New York, you want this? New York was like, yeah, we got that. And so there was a, um, there was a feedback loop. There was a symbolic uh, a replica of the Statue of Liberty, um, which was a gift uh, of a miniature version of the Statue of Liberty given to the, the, the folks of, the, of, of Paris, and we can see that this, this, this miniature is in the Sequana River, it's in the Seine River, and you can see like the scale is, is much smaller. So now remember our, uh, where were we? Da, 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 da. Here's our goddess map. So we've got this, we've got this. Now we're gonna go up here. This is probably about 25 miles upstream right here, Dolphin. And what do we got right there? We've got this. You know, the truth behind uh, this Pennsylvania mystery was revealed 25 years ago. No one in the town of Dolphin, here's our Dolphin. This is the river. This is, this is the Susquehanna River, and we've got this. Now, I'm not suggesting for, I do not think that this was put up here by secret societies in a way to, to like connect with the, the Sequana, um, uh, symbol on the Susquehanna River. No, I think it's much, much deeper than that. I think the people or the person who did that, they did it for whatever logical reasons made sense for them, but they were also riding a deeper current because they lived on this river and they lived in this place and this is just what naturally showed itself. This has to do with ruling of the, of the undercurrents of life. So now let's go and look at these side by side, and you can see they're even in the same proportion and scale. Like this is on an old, uh, uh, you know, this was a support structure for a bridge which once crossed the river. Um, and it's narrow. Like if you can imagine we're looking at it from, from the, from the head-on perspective, it's going to look narrow like this. This is probably square in shape, but still like, you know, the height off of the, off of the river and just like, you know, how it's alone. Like there's, there's an obvious <laughs> parallel. Let's also point out that Dauphin County, that's what this is. This is Dauphin County. Harrisburg is the, Harrisburg is the capital. Harris, Paris, you know, it's, 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 we've got all of these strange correlations and Dauphin County was created, erected, you know, why they're calling it erected, I think that's interesting. On March 4th, 1785, part of Lancaster County, which was, you know, what all of this is right here, Lancaster County, which connects back to like the War of Roses in, in, uh, um, in, in England, but it was named after Louis Joseph Dauphin of France, the first son of King Louis, um, Louis the 14th. And I want to say he died. So there's also like, kind of like, you know, there's a sacrificial uh, correlation in that as well. But we've got another correlation linking this river, linking this area between France and, 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 uh, um, and here it's Pennsylvania. And we also, in part one, we saw the Marie Antoinette and the French um, at, um, asylum, which is also on the river. But we're going to keep on going because we're going to get into like even more weird stuff. We're going to go down a little bit more, um, 
onto the, onto the stranger coincidences, and we're going to look at C. This is Three Mile Island, you know. If you don't know, Three Mile Island was the first large-scale major, like, um, nuclear uh, power plant um, mishap. Uh, second one being Chernobyl, the third one being Fukushima. And this was a major, major world, um, like all eyes of the world were on the events that happened right here on Three Mile Island, right there. There's your Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island incident uh, kind of talks into it. We got Jimmy Carter walking around. He's walking around with the then governor of Pennsylvania. That dude eventually becomes the under general secretary of the United Nations. Obviously, he played his part well. Um, but Three Mile Island is also known as, and we're talking phonetics, we're talking magic, we're talking speaking words. It's known as TMI, TMI, which sounds a lot like Tiamat, Tiamat. Now we're back into, um, now we're back into goddess again. And it's even stranger because, or, or, or more, or more grounded because, uh, um, the story of of the the three mile nuclear three mile island incident and uh you know i've done i i've i've read that there there <laughs> I've, I've seen that there are enough um different looks at what's happened and one very conspiratorial look is like the whole thing was fake as well like this you know it didn't really happen it was just like you know like a worldwide ritual i don't know um, but nonetheless, there were some strange things occurring to it because um, 16 days prior to the, to the Three Mile um, Island incident, which was a partial nuclear meltdown, um, it happened on March 28, 1979. 16 days earlier, there was a, a movie, a pretty big movie, um, like big enough or recognized enough that it was nominated for Academy, I think for Best Picture, um, called The China Syndrome. Uh, and it was about a nuclear meltdown and it came out 16 days before. And so it really peppered the collective consciousness mind about like this idea of nuclear meltdown. And then there was, you know, a nuclear meltdown happened. And, you know, there's one line from the movie that says, um, an area the size of Pennsylvania would be permanently in an uninhabitable and obviously that didn't happen but there's there's a lot of interesting like uh, you know that was invoked uh this happened almost exactly one year uh uh one year later uh almost one i think it was 360 degrees so like an ancient an ancient year because that used to be 360 360 days which corresponds specifically with the circle 360 degrees and that's 360 days was an ancient solar calendar, but 360 days later was the um, erection of uh, the Georgia Guidestones, you know, whether they're linked, I think they are, but nonetheless, so we've got Tiamat uh, and Tiamat, and Tiamat, the story of Tiamat uh, ties in with, with Three Mile Island, just in the fact that... Um, of how when she fought with Marduk, she she turned her enemies, uh, the bodies of her enemies, uh, their poison filled their body instead of blood. And with nuclear meltdowns, like, you know, the concern is, is leukemia, that, that you know, your, your blood's going to become poisoned. And 
you know, also of interest is we talked in part one all about like Queen Esther. And we talked about how, how there was the bloody rock Queen Esther and how that was connected. And we also see that, that Queen Esther is a, from the, from the biblical telling of the story, is just a retelling of the um, Babylonian holiday of Tiamat and Marduk. So we've got like a, this like connection, connection, connection of goddess and, and this river in all of these different forms and some of it real and some of it like, you know, completely fictional and mythological and, and mystical, but it's there. Uh, interestingly enough, so, uh, I did, I did this post last year. So this was last year about the 40th anniversary of the three mile Island nuclear meltdown. And what I thought was interesting is exactly on that day, on that day, um, there was here. So this is three mile Island. I was living right here at the time in Marietta. And I think I was giving a presentation right here at this, at this, uh, um, at Drager Farms that evening, but on the 40th anniversary, what we have right here is Lancaster County solid waste. This is like an incinerator. And on that day, uh, for whatever reason, on the 40th anniversary of the Tiamat goddess meltdown, um, pink, a pink plume came out of the, the, the incinerator, which is always like very white. You know, they're burning all the trash there um, and it looks white. But for this day on the 40th anniversary of Tiamat, it was pink. And that was a big enough, it was a big enough thing that it was covered in the newspaper. You know, or I, actually, I think I took this from the local news station. But, um, you know, it was recognized. And, and you know, if... if you're going to be as literal as possible. Like, you know, pink is the symbol. It's the literal symbol of, of the female, of the, of, the, of the human female expression. So um, that, is, that is interesting. And then, you know, if you remember, uh, two weeks later, we have the burning of Notre Dame. And think about this, you know, we've got, we've got right here, this is the Susquehanna River. This is, this is Three Mile Island. This is where Tiamat's temple was. This is the Sequana River. This is the islands in the middle of Paris, the city of Isis. And this is where Three Mile, this is where the, the, um, the, the, the temple to Isis, the temple to Tiamat in the river. This is where they, it had its meltdown. 40 years, 40 years, and I think it was two weeks, 40 years and two weeks to the day, we go from Tiamat melting down to, to, um, to Isis melting down, you know, the temple to Tiamat, the temple to Isis. Uh, yeah, we got a little bit into the dates. I looked at these right here, 200 years between Bloody Rock and Tiamat, uh, 40 years and 18 days between, um, between uh, Tiamat and um, and Notre Dame, and then 240 years and nine months between Esther to to the burning of Notre Dame. I particularly like the the the, the nine months here because you know that's a human gestation gestation period. But. All right, I'm going to start wrapping this up right now, and I'm bringing this back. So now we're going to get into like more like, again, like all of this isn't like, I'm not trying to build like a solid structure which you built, which you can stand upon. I'm trying to build a solid structure to allow 
your openness to expand. And, and I, began, I began the first part talking about fro- Frozen 2. Uh, and uh, the, first, the first part of this two-part video series, and I talked about the, the standing stones. And, and we looked at the, the actual standing stone in, um, in the Susquehanna River and how that ta- that's exactly where where we find French asylum and where we find where Queen Esther, the, the, the native matriarch, where she actually lived. And we're seeing this blend over. Um, but we also, you know, we know in the movie there are like four stones and, you know, stones being very, very significant within, um, within this storyline, which, you know, synchronistically, Disney, you know, the ultimate controllers of the imagination, um, they're 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 sharing they're sharing whether consciously or not they're they're sharing these clues to the puzzle and we we saw a link right here and let's go and look at other stones um the main branch of the susquehanna river it's in um cooperstown new york right here's the baseball hall of fame this is lake atsego and then this is where the susquehanna begins and right here you can see that's called council rock park it's you know sits just two blocks from the baseball hall of fame here's baseball hall of fame council rock park why is it council rock like right here right in this spot right here where it transitions from 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 lake to river is this this stone this boulder which for the most part normal uh level of of water height, you know, just a little bit sticks out. Like it's not particularly significant, you know, when you see it, like it doesn't jump out at you like this, like that jumps out of you. You visually know that that's significant, you know, you know, regardless of what, for whatever lens you want to call that significance, mystical, geological, this thing is out of the ordinary, but this is a little bit, this is a, you know, at least how we see it now, like, you know, yeah, it sits right at the beginning of the, of the river. And that's, that's a big deal, but where I'm going with all of this is this council rock and 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 when you look at it you keep on bumping up across this idea of council rock was this famous meeting place of the indians you know who lived here the iroquois nation and the iroquois nation was a great great powerful people and this was a significant location of where they would meet their meeting place it's their famous meeting place and my guess is you know is is as we go and we look at 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 how, um, you know, at the very least, how the, the, the Catholic Church would go and build their churches on top of the holy sites of the people whom were conquered. It was because there was a recognition like, oh, yeah, those people knew where the power spots were, and we're just going to go and, 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 and usurp that power, if you will. Um, you know, this seems to like hint at that. This is a power spot. This is identified by stone, like we saw in these in this movie, like you know, rocks. Maybe it's not necessarily this stone, but but this is another located stone which I which we can see with our own eyes linking into this river. And then going back to this key location, right here where this uh no, it's right here. It's just outside of the circle. Um, is where we find the Susquehanna River petroglyphs. Uh, this is what they are, these large stones in the river, and this is where we find big and little Indian rock petroglyphs. And this is the largest concentration of petroglyphs found anywhere east of the, um, of the uh, um, Mississippi River. And this is like almost like 
completely ignored by archaeologists. There's, there's, um, you could see some of the petroglyphs right there. But this is a key location, and this is exactly where the 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 hidden where where the map, the John Smith map, like this is this is where they built their structure. But this is the most noticeable thing, the most notable thing of like maybe why to go to this location if they're identifying a key location. And I think they were because right up here, connected by a stream which leads you straight to these petroglyphs, is where the Rosicrucians built their first colony, Ephrata Cloister. Go see, uh, go see um, what is that, Mystic Lancaster Part 1, I go into that. And we could see there's this really kind of funky alignment. What this represents is of the hundreds of boulders which are found in this area, these are the only ones with known um, petroglyphs. And we can see that they have a strange alignment. Um, that is covered more in... Uh, in uh, um, the secret of Sus the Susquehanna, um, but the point I want to make is this is this is the, the third, and I know there are more, but I'm just going to leave it at these three. At, at, at three, you know, here we're looking at four. Um, are looking at four different stones. That's what's being called out, like these magic, mystical stones that somehow, like, they connect to. Uh, you know, the mystery. And that's what's happening right now is because we're, we're, we're being coerced to go further and further away from the mystery of life on earth to live in an artificially uh, controlled by algorithm mystery uh, in, in the computer realm. I mean, that's what in the digital realm, in the artificial realm, you know, that's what's happening. That's what, uh, that's what all of the, the, that's what life, life is leveled up in terms of like, we were already connected to the, to the internet and the computer prior to the worldwide initiation. But that has been like the push towards increasing that has gone up exponentially at the same time as the push to like decrease your connection with humanity. But nonetheless, all of, <laughs> all of this is about like beginning to, to recognize what we're being taken away from and what's been hidden from us all along. And to me, what I think it really is for this time is the connection we have to the natural flow of life and how we unfold it or how we navigate, how we navigate this time period, particularly for those of us who are um, interested in other ways than the the solutions which are being offered up and so let's go back to <laughs> you know we'll go back to the to to the song to the to the disney song because there if you squeeze and an inversion if you squeeze it hard enough you're going to find gold in it because the inversion is always just a flip of the gold and so that gold has to be in it and so when we look at things synchronistically, we can find gold. So again, here's a song about the river in Frozen 2 with the rocks. There's a river full of memory, for in this river all is found. Um, and in her song all magic flows. But can you brave what you most fear? Can you face what the river knows? You know, I'm not, I, I mean, <laughs> I could go down a path and show how that, that can be applied very literally. But the point is, there's something significant in rivers. That's hopefully like, you know, I've covered that point. But there's something really, really important to the Susquehanna River. 
And this isn't about like fandom. This isn't like my river is better than your river. It's not that. If you think that way, that's thinking in, in, in a programmed way. If there is a hierarchy within our, within the environment, the world we live in, and there certainly appears to be one, well, and if there is that truth within, within the river hierarchy, this would not be done in a subjective way. There would have to be objective markers that would make it clear. And I'm going to suggest that those objective markers, we've got, we've got four of them right here. We've got the age, one of five rivers estimated to be more than 300 million years old. We've got the, the incredibly rare and objectively like holding value of, of maybe not, uh, Whole, regardless of culture, you, if you come across stones that naturally look like this, this, is what they naturally look like. They're not cut. These are great examples, but this is what the Herkimer diamond looks like. And the Herkimer diamond occurs naturally right here. There's no place on the earth where you have this degree of water clarity and double termination on naturally forming stones. There are only, I believe, four places on Earth where, where double terminated crystals grow, but only one place where they grow that they look like this. But you know what? If there's going to be a marker of an important river, if that is found at its headwaters, well, then yes, I'm going to be like, okay, that adds, to, and it's the oldest river. That's a, that's a key marker. And when we see that this river then transitions into this enormous, enormous symbol of life, the Chesapeake Bay in the most literal sense that this is a symbol of biodiversity and life we see right here Washington DC and everything that goes in Washington DC and all of that all of that energy which gets into like whatever water is what we do know is water seems to be a holding mechanism of of frequency you know that's what the whole Dr. Emoto um, secrets in, in water are is that water holds something and as we've got this oldest circuit flowing in and it's it's holding whatever the energy of the area is and it comes right down here and it blends with the Atlantic Ocean and then it comes in the Atlantic Ocean and it hooks up with the 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 Gulf Stream and it just goes, and this is how it's passed throughout, throughout, um, throughout humanity, uh, or at least through the, throughout Earth, um, by looking at the currents. You know, this is probably, this is true with all of these rivers. This is the Delaware River. This is Philadelphia. But the deeper the circuit, the more fundamental the message. Um, but that's what we see here, and that, this is another marker. Um, and then lastly, we see that where this empties out right here, is underwater the location of, um, you know, the Chesapeake Bay crater, 40 miles or 40 kilometers in diameter. So that to me is like the fourth objective indicator that if such a thing would exist as a grandmother river, a foundational river that looks after life on earth, this is what it would look like. Whew! So, uh... This feels like a good place to, to stop. Um, I love the comments. I don't respond, uh, but I read them. Uh, and um, so please keep on doing that. Um, 
if this is resonating with it, first of all, uh, you're connected with this whether you recognize it or not. If you use a computer, you're connected to the Susquehanna River. If you, um, if, if, if you, if you um, have electricity flowing through your home with three wires, Susquehanna River. If you're affected by globalism, you're connected to the Susquehanna River. Albeit in this kind of like um, magical altar sort of way, but there's a connection there. And so as you have an interest and as you begin to see through, see through um, the, the layers of which have been meant to obscure this, um, there's also a connection with that. And as that happens, because what ultimately what this is, is the flow that rules life on earth. And one of the reasons why I share my, you know, the going ons in my life and the synchronicities in my life is, you know, I think it's a, a reflection. You know, this is how it showed me just doing this research and telling the story. Like, this is how life has ha, flows through me in this immensely synchromistic way and in an immensely pleasant way. Like my life's not always pleasant, but the way that it has unfolded has been beautifully pleasant. You know, I, that is my connection with the Susquehanna River. As you understand how rivers work, as you understand the Grandmother River, as you understand the river in your own backyard, this is part of the way of grounding within you and this, this environment we find ourselves in, Earth, during this immense time where there is a, there is a, a, there is a strong, strong force of um, trying to pull us in an a, 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 um, underhanded and artificial expression of life at this time. So I'm going to leave it at that. This is Mike. Uh, I appreciate your attention. And, uh, you know... Keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs>